Well, Action Jackson, the AFL in their infinite wisdom have uh, asked for us to give them their thoughts about the game. Well, perhaps I should firstly point out that they also, in their infinite wisdom, have scheduled a game tonight at ten past six on a Thursday night, which was in Perth. Yeah, which was enough to uh, motivate me to just take the entire day off work because the last time I went to a Thursday night game here, um, attempting to get there after work meant basically I didn't get to the ground until halfway through the second quarter. So the only reason we're coming to you here today <laughs> on this bright and sunny Thursday afternoon is because, yeah, when I saw there was a game on at six past, 10 past 6, I was like, you know what, <laughs> let's just take the 9 to 5 and make sure I can get there on time. So, But anyway, but anyway. Back to the uh, to the task to the, at, to the task at hand. Survey so, says. Survey says. God, now, awful other ads you've seen for the new Family Feud on Channel Ten. Yeah, let's not go. Oh, mate. Well, God. the only thing worse would be actually watching the show. But anyway, oh. let's focus on the task at hand here, please. Yeah. So, uh, particularly when the alternative is Grant Denier's <laughs> Family Feud. <laughs> I want top of mind responses. The the funniest thing I like. I'm nothing is not top of mind. Yeah, but after uh, you just forcing me to go back to my classic segue. I was watching uh, Canadian Family Feud when I was <laughs> travelling a few years ago, and uh, the great Denyer was being played by none other than Jay Peterman. Oh, from oh. Seinfeld. I actually watched uh, the Bosco episode last night. Uh, George. Yeah. We die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. His name was George. He killed yeah, my mother. Yeah, that's right. His name was Costanza. He murdered my mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. We're desperately trying to, yeah, pluck at whatever sort of random TV uh, connections we can come up with at the moment. So yeah. let's perhaps get down to brass tacks. Okay. Which club do you support? Do I, do I really need to go on the record as that? Yes, you do. Well, it's the Hawks. And yeah. i got to say, after their performance last Saturday... This is probably the best week in which to be a Hawthorne fan since the 2008 Grand Final. Oh, what? The, the 2013 Grand Final not good enough for you? Of, in terms, of, in in terms of the pride and yeah. admiration I felt on the back of that result, then, I, yeah, I would already say that this week is even better than, um, yeah, than after last year's Grand Final. Well, I think we made my allegiances pretty clear during the tenure of this podcast <laughs> yeah. as well, so... Uh, just for the record, just on your butt no, just just uh, <laughs> and just for the record, uh, if you're an Eagles, if you're an Eagles member or an Eagles supporter, and you're getting stuck into Adam Simpson, lay off. Yeah. It's not his fault he inherited a crap list. Give him, give him at least another twelve months mm-hmm. before you pass judgment. My uncle was doing just that on Sunday. The bit I found the most amusing was, oh, but he never gets passionate or fired up in the box. I was just sitting there going, hey, hang on. The- the previous coach was John Warsfold. Well, Compared to Warsfold, Simpson's blowing a bloody head gasket I, in there. Uh, I have a sister that says the same thing, and I say, uh, my response back to her is usually, so what, you'd rather have Brad Scott up there? <laughs> and that, that usually ends that conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, it's just, yeah, I don't really think West Coast fans can take umbrage with his lack of emotion when it's coming after, on the heels of uh, John Warsfold. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Who's the most exciting player in the AFL? Quick responses. The answer I still have to go with is is Lance Franklin, Mm. based not only on his last 12 weeks of form, where he has been hands down the best and most influential player in the competition, 
But the the one that sticks in my mind at the moment is the goal he kicked. I think it was in the third quarter on Saturday, where he was in a one on one marking contest with Gibson. Essentially pushed off him, scooped the ball up from about fifty, and then drilled the goal on the run from about forty out. There's not only is there, I don't think anyone else in the game who can do that sort of thing right now. There would only have been four or five players in the history of AFL that could um, kick a goal like that. And you look at his performance, like against Port Adelaide, where he essentially hauled his team over the line single-handedly in that last quarter. He's cut the game in the third quarter where he kicked five as well. Yeah, when he is absolutely, when his engine is purring, Mm. he is able to utterly devastate the opposition like no other player in the competition right now. I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. (laughs) I didn't want to be boring, but that would have been my choice as well. Mm. Um, I'm not saying he's the best player, but I think that he's the guy that, most consistently gives you highlights, yeah. if you know what I mean. At, uh, at, at his best, yeah. he's the best player. And the yeah, scary thing... Th- I'm not even sure of that, but I just think that oh. he, he gives you the most... He gives you the most, how the hell did he do that moments. Mm. Um, okay, which player would you most want at your club? I'll answer this first. The West Coast Eagles have an absolutely horrendous midfield, so I want a good midfielder. Scott Pendlebury from Collingwood would be my choice. Just because I, it, his game, to me, is just so complete. The class factor. The class. He always seems to have time. Yeah. He always seems to make really good decisions with yeah. the ball. If, um, he can go forward and take marks. And, you know, he has a pretty good defensive game as well. So, If I think back over my entire life of watching football, two guys who stand out, that's Simon Black and Scott Pendlebury, just they always seem to have literally an extra one or two seconds when they had the ball compared to everyone else yeah. around them. There's another guy but, who's very underrated at that, and because he played so long ago, people kind of forget. Dean Kemp was exactly like that. Okay. So, um, he he always seemed to just have mm. an inordinate amount of time. Yeah, and it does it doesn't matter whether he's standing on his own on the wing or whether he's got you know. 20 other bodies within, you know, Mm. three square metres of him. He just always seems to have that coolness of head, that extra bit of time. Mm. And as I say, he's he's just a a genuinely classy player. A lot of the things he does, his finishing, his delivery, yeah, everything about him. I just want to keep back to your point. Simon, I just want to go on the record and say this. Simon Black was arguably the best player of the 2000s. His record mm. during that time stands up better than pretty much everyone else, and he's criminally underrated for the football that he was. Yeah. He went to my high school, you know. There you go. Blackie. Yeah. So, so there's a connection right. there. Um, oh, for me, it's it's an absolute no-brainer, and that's Eric McKenzie. Ooh, um, essentially, the Hawks' defence is probably the one thing that's stopped them really competing for maybe three or four premierships over the last handful of years. And if... If you look at how Lance Franklin was able to just basically boss his direct opponent around all night on Saturday and compare that back to how Eric McKenzie did a complete shutdown job on him a couple of weeks earlier mm. over here at Suby Oval. Um, yeah, if it's essentially, I want a key defender, therefore, if I had to pick one, it's it's Eric McKenzie every time. There you go. Plus, it would also mean potentially seeing Sean Makers booted the fuck out of the starting 22, which is always yeah. a good thing. 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm an unabashed Eric McKenzie fan, so yeah. um, and have been all along. Well, he could um, could be um, club champion potentially yeah, that's this right, year. Yeah. I, I just remember, I think it was his second or third game when he played on Nick Rewalt, and he he really. When, this was when Rewalt was at the top of his game. And he he abs he's like second or third game. And was he, that the Brent Staker game over here? It was, yes. Yep. Yeah. Where I was. Um, at the yeah, game. he kicked two goals on mm. Spanger in about five minutes, and Mackenzie played on in the rest of the game, and he barely got a sniff. Yeah. Um. And I, I from that game on, I'm like, wow, this this guy's got something special about mm. him. Well, um, I'll give him the ultimate compliment. I remember at the end of the game commenting to Michelle, who I'd seen the game with, oh. Geez, Glassy must have done a really good job on Rewalt today because he mm. barely had an impact on all, mm. at, at all. So, in yeah. other words, yeah, Mackenzie's performance was Glassy-esque, mm. which around that time, there's no higher compliment you could pay a defender. Yeah. And he's he's a slightly more attacking version of Darren Glass, but he has what all the solid <laughs> he has all the solid defensive capabilities that Glassy had, but he's a bit more he's a bit more got a bit more attacking flair to it. Yeah. It's hard to be it's hard to have less attacking flair than no. Darren Glass. Though. No. <laughs> To be yeah. fair. Who's the best young player in the AFL to watch? Does Tom Rockliffe count as young? When he's 24. Yeah. You D- are watching Rockliffe? Young. You are the way he goes about it. Oh, I mean, I just look at him and think, wow, this kid's still got potentially, you know, the best part of a decade left in him. Um, I mean, Jeremy Cameron is the other one who always yeah. just comes to mind. He's had a, a pretty, pretty substandard season. I suspect he's essentially... Picked up a bit of a minor injury in the pre-season, and mm. then it sounds like he's sort of at regular intervals throughout the year had another mm. niggle, which has yeah. worked I mean, against him. For me, when he's on, Chad Wingard. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you who's actually really exciting, and I think it's going to be an, a really good player in about two or three years, is Marcus Bontempelli. I was Bulldogs. just thinking him as well. I really yeah. like the look of mm. Bontempelli. Um, I was I went on the record last year saying I wanted the Eagles to get him. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you mentioned Dom Sheed, Blake Akers, and uh, yeah, and Bontempelli. And Bontempelli yeah. was the first and, name I threw out there. Mm. And, um, yeah, I really was hoping we'd get him but uh yeah. yeah and moving just slightly across from him in the western bulldogs lineup jackson mccray yeah probably Ma- mccray's more i mean to put it in mccray's more you swan and bonson pell is yeah. more you pendlebury if yeah. that makes sense yeah. um i just think that yeah mccray will be an accumulator bonson pell will be mm. a flare guy who's the most underrated player in the afl uh, i mean mckenzie would be right up there again um yeah. I think it's generally going to be a shutdown yep. defensive type player Agreed. who just does his job week in, week out and doesn't get noticed. I mean, someone like Nick Smith um, for Sydney, yeah. who, um, I mean, the commentators pointed out when Bruce beat him in that one-on-one marking contest, that just almost never happens uh, to Nick Smith. Yeah, um, no, I think I said, I've, had, I've said him in the past as well. <laughs> yeah, he very much is. I want to throw one out there that's probably a bit more left field, but along the same lines. Tendai Mazungu from Fremantle doesn't really get much love. He can play as a half-back, he can play as a wingman, he can play as a half-forward, he mm. can play as an attacking player, he can play as a defensive player, and he very rarely gets beaten. Yeah. And he's the type of guy that he's probably, you know, 14 or 15 on mm. their depth chart. But, you know, he's... And if I'm just thinking, say, a couple of months ago when Michael Johnson first went down with that injury, yeah. for the two or three weeks after that, Mzungo just um, 
slotted in seamlessly playing that role of sort of yeah. loose man distributed down back. Um, so, yeah, good example of that. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's very... Versatility yeah, that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he. I, I think whenever people talk about Fremantle, you'd never hear his name mentioned. And he's what? someone and he's someone who I actually rate. He, he always takes Andrew Gaff to the cleaners mm. every single Western Derby. Who's the best strategic coach in the AFL? I'd still have to go Ross Lyon, I think. Mm. I I have this as a racing too. mm. And you've you've taken Lyon, so I'll take the other one. I'll take Clarkson. Yeah. Um, I I just think if both of them are at their absolute peak, there are still occasions uh, on which Hawthorne do seem to get out-strategised slightly. Whereas I don't think you could ever really say that, um, yeah, a team outcoaches Fremantle at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. The, but I think that the thing that I like about those two guys in particular, which is why I put them slightly above the others, is that they're, they're able to make the most of bad situations. Both teams over the past few years have had some pretty ordinary injury runs. Mm-hmm yet they've still been incredibly competitive during that time. And it's not just injury runs, it's been injuries to key players. Yeah. And and the other point you could make about both of them is that they've almost revolutionised the game. When you think about Clarkson's cluster and obviously the the Ross Lyon patented um, lockdown mode, Mm. both of them have been responsible for introducing, I guess, one of the major strategies each over the last few years. Yeah, no. So I think, yeah, I... I think it's those two. Then I think there's probably a gap to your to your um, John Longmire's and your mm-hmm. Ken Hinckley's, yep. and then there's a lot of unproven guys for the most part underneath that, or yeah. guys that just happen to inherit a very good situation. Chris Scott, yeah. Um, are you happy with how the game's been played? Yes or no? We'll get into the specifics after. With how it's been played, yes. With how it's being umpired, there's. I mean. Mm. The one single greatest blight on the game is the way that the interpretation of holding the ball has become completely bastardised over the last few years. Okay, well, you've answered what you got least. I just wanted a yes or no question. (laughs) Um, I I think it's a worse game than it was 20 years ago, so I'm saying no. Yeah. All right, so you've said what you got least is the officiating. I think that that's probably... The the inconsistency of how it's being officiated, that's probably fair enough. Not just the inconsistency, but the sheer unadulterated unfairness Mm. of the holding the ball decisions now. Timbo came up with a very good... um, um, yeah. possibility for this the other day. He said it shouldn't be allowed to be paid holding the ball if there's more than one player from the team sitting on top of the yeah. guy. Well, that's the only holding the ball that gets paid these days. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, he said that you can only have one guy tackling. And yeah. when he when he said it, I immediately jumped on that and said, yeah. yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Because what the rule should be is someone who's had prior opportunity gets tackled and doesn't dispose of it legally, that should be holding the ball. Now, that doesn't get paid a lot of the time, and what gets paid instead of these, you've got to make a genuine attempt, and the drags it back in, and, and all that sort of rubbish where it's essentially punishing the guy who's just trying to retake possession well, after the ball's the, hit the, the guy who The guy who makes the ball his primary objective, he's, yeah. he's yeah. my what do I like least, and it's along similar lines. A guy who makes the ball his primary objective should not be getting penalised mm. excessively yeah. at that extent, to the point whereby it's not in your best interest to go for it first. And the same thing, yeah. I have the same argument about this sliding rule. If you get yeah. to the ball first, 
stiff shit if oh. you have, if you take the guy's legs out. He should have been harder at it. Yeah. Um, particularly a lot of the time when you'll see, like, I'm thinking of games, well, the one that comes to mind is the East Perth-West Perth game the other day, but games yeah. where the, the <laughs> where conditions are, yeah, are wet pools. and slippery, <laughs> yeah. and you've essentially got almost no control over yeah. it at all. Yeah. Okay. But that one's just a stupid So, game. anyway, so that's what we got worse. What do you like best about the game? Um... I think I'll answer this one first, give mm. you a bit of a chance to think about it. Yeah. The thing I, the thing that I like best about it, there's two elements to it. One, the game itself is incredibly unique, and I think that the second and most important thing that I like about it is is that players of all types and all sizes can actually play the game and be effective. Mm. You know, you don't have to be the tallest or the most athletic to actually be the best. Mm. So I think that, that, you know, for me, that that's actually incredibly appealing. Yeah. In terms of that question... Similar to what you'd said previously, the thing I like about the game now is is not something that's uh, unique to the game now, but it's the appeal that it's always had. The I guess the sheer excitement of blokes running onto the ball at full pelt, you know, snapping goals from twenty meters out on a tight angle, and that there's so much scope for um, the unusual and the exciting to happen in AFL mm. compared to a, a sport like rugby, where mm. it's essentially Here's a line of those players. Here's a line, here's a line of the opponents, and yeah. you've just got to try and run it past. And them. I think that's right. That's one of the things that when you talk to people who watch other sports, the thing that they find the most interesting about AFL is what we call three sixty degree pressure. Mm-hmm. Is that you can get tackled from pretty much any angle. Yeah. Whereas in most of these other sports, it's generally what's happening. The the play mm-hmm. unfolds in front of you, not behind you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. What if anything would you change? So this is at a broader level, I think. Just looking at it, it seems to be. Um, so this is this is. I think in general, the the overall, just the overall philosophy of the AFL that it's just all about revenue raising um, and just trying to maximise their own uh, take from the game, yeah. as opposed to the actual equality, fairness, and just the general um, yeah. okay. integrity of the competition. I'm going to skip ahead so, a few questions okay. and ask you another question to answer. What's more important to you, blockbusters, big games on TV, or an equitable draw? Yeah. I remember when I first read that question, I, just, I think I fired an email across to you just saying the very fact that they're even asking that, yeah. that, that right there in a nutshell is what I would like to change about the game. The fact that this, the governing body of this sport is of the opinion that a blockbuster fixturing is more important than a fair and equitable draw for each team in the competition is is just yeah. insanity. Okay. I've got a long list of things, so I just <laughs> want to make sure I get them all and I try and get them in the right order. First thing, scrap priority picks. Mm. You, sh- you should be shamed for finishing low, not rewarded for finishing low. Mm. The second thing is scrap. If you're going to have compensation picks... For free agents, they they should be at the ends of rounds, not during or in the middle of rounds. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that you shouldn't have them at all. If you're going to follow a, follow a model where you have compensation picks, it should be like the NFL, where it's not you don't get compensation picks in the first round or the second round. But for losing somebody like Buddy Franklin, for instance, you might get four third round picks. 
Okay, so you get basically additional trade yeah. trade value yeah. that you it can theoretically then, that you can the third use, yeah. the third thing I'd like to see implemented is I'd like to see teams have the ability to trade future draft picks. A lot of times deals can't get done because there's haggling around whether somebody's worth a team's first round pick or a second round pick. If mm. you can trade the first round pick next year, yeah, as a guide, I think that that it's. That's that's one thing that I, I would really like to see come come forward as well. Um, I'd also like to see, in terms of that, the clubs have a lot more autonomy and control over that entire process rather than it seemingly yeah. at the moment being at yeah. the AFL's... Um, Very good. Thank yeah. you. Point, point, point four. Any player who's under contract can be traded at any point in time. They shouldn't need to get the consent of the player in order to trade them. Right now, the the weight of decision-making with the free agency and that particular caveat is 100% at the, loaded to the player at the expense of a team. It makes it incredibly mm. difficult for a team to plan and incredibly difficult for a team to build. I would say perhaps if you are going to do that, then it needs to be within, say, a specific two-month window because yes. where well, it might be unfair like for the player say. is if they're oh. suddenly... Um, Knocked yeah. out of contract. So yeah, well, no. That, if you are right. going to do that, perhaps say here's the fixed time period. Yeah, time I think the trade trade week would have to be longer. Yeah, and I'd actually like to see it extend past the draft because another thing that I would like to see is the ability for people to trade players that they've just drafted. So you can if you can trade the rights for a team. The look, the reality is with regards to this whole trading and free agency model is that they've tried to borrow from what the, the American sports oh, are doing. typical AFL fashion. But they've absolutely bastardised <laughs> yeah, it exactly. beyond belief. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see them... And no doubt they'll come out calling it world-leading. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Yeah, the whole free agency thing, compensation picks... For, you know, forget compensation as far as I'm concerned, really. The, the compensation you get is space on your, space on your books. Oh, and also, if you are going to have compensation, then make it something that is negotiated between the two clubs rather Absolutely. than something that the AFL just comes yeah. in over the top well, and that's says, the other thing as here's well. what you'll get. Because that's, that's a really good point as well. And, and you know, what the, and it, what the NHL does, actually, is if you sign a restricted free agent, the, the league determines compensation, but that compensation actually comes from the team that signed the player. Mm. Right now, if you sign a free agent, all you're giving up is salary cap space and a spot on your list. You should be having to give up a pick, not these picks coming from the sky. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Because that penalises all of the other teams. And also, the manner in which those picks are determined and yeah. like um, calculated is a complete secret. Well, it's an absolute joke that James Frawley will probably be worth pick four or five this year. Yeah. And Buddy Franklin, who's signed the richest contract of all time, was mm. worth pick 19. Yeah. That that makes absolutely no sense. Awful. Dale Thomas was worth more than Lance mm. Franklin last year. And there's no one in their right mind except for maybe Mick Malthouse that would pick Dale Thomas over Lance Franklin. Yeah. Or, for instance, um, the Doggies getting the same compensation for losing Callum Ward as uh, like I think Melbourne did for losing Tom Scully and a couple of other... Um, no, Melbourne yeah, got please. Melbourne got more for Tom Scully than the Bulldogs got for oh, Callum yeah. Ward. Well, Melbourne, it was yeah. the Bulldogs got the same for Callum Ward that Melbourne essentially got for Colin Sylvia. Mm. <laughs> what a joke! Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's probably more that I've that I've forgotten. There's that always I've, more <laughs> that I've whinged about in the past, but let's start there. Let's get that right and move on from there. What rule would you like to see implemented? 
I'll answer this. None. There's too many already. How about we strip a few back and keep yeah. the game consistent for a little while? Mm. I must say, I'm. I would be quite open to the idea of having three pairs of players having to remain within each forward fifty arc at all times, mm. um, because I think it is. Yeah, it is quite arbitrary. It is a bit like netball and it does seem a bit silly. But I think the impact it would have in just always meaning, number one, you would never have every single player on the ground within 10 metres of the ball. And number two, the the common theme we see now of a turnover almost always leading directly to a goal just because there's no numbers back for the other team, mm-hmm. it would it would negate that a little bit and yeah. mean there's always at least yeah, a I, few I, players at the, each end. Yeah, the Ramesh Kimmy who says that he hates the game less now than he did 20 years ago is because you don't see those one-on-one yeah. contests anymore. Yeah. I, in principle, I don't like it because it's a it's kind of a restriction it's a restrictive element. Yeah, I agree game, less with the restriction and yeah. more with the outcomes yeah. it would achieve. Yeah, I think that that's fair enough. Actually, I, I have to say, there's one thing I'd add. I'd, I'd bring in a 25-metre penalty. Yeah. The things that aren't quite 50, yeah. but are infringement. So particularly where certain umpires, perhaps nicknamed Razor, yeah. who, well, they don't think they're bigger than the game. They know they're bigger than the game. Um, you know, if a, a slightly... Um, offensive comment is uttered in their direction after a player gets pinged, you know, for a free yeah. kick. That sometimes, yeah, leading to a fifty metre penalty. Some of those are just ridiculous. Yeah. And you're right; there needs to be a more, uh, well, a less severe um, yeah. punishment yep. for those sorts of offences. Yeah, couldn't agree with me more on that one. Uh, which rule needs to go? Sliding rule. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've discussed this before. I don't think we need to discuss yeah. it any further. Uh, if you could change one thing about the game itself, what would it be? I think you just discussed yours. Yeah. I think we've discussed mine. We can move on. We've talked about the blockbuster thing. I'm with you. The fact that they asked that oh, question God. is an insult. It's a- yeah, it, it is, is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Do you want football on Good Friday? Um, I don't. Yeah. Um, and that's largely just because I see no reason for it. I think traditionally not having the game on Good Friday... Um, with the the game on the Easter Thursday and the games on the Saturday, hmm. um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just see no overwhelming uh, reason for there to be a game on on that yeah, day. No, fair. I, I'm going to say I don't, but I don't have a problem with it if they decided to do it. Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, I, I mean, I I really don't like the I. I mean, I, I'm not 100% yes for it. If they chose to do it, I'd probably accept it. But yeah. if you were saying to me, you have sole rights to, to make that call, I'd be like you and I'd probably say no. Mm. Are the new clubs good for the competition? And by new clubs, we mean GWS and Gold Coast. And the answers are yes, no, and not sure. <laughs> and I, the, the problem oh. is, is that I want to say one is and one isn't. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> GWS are the absolute epitome of everything that's wrong with the AFL. The fact that they are were willing to pay Israel Folau, the single worst player in the history of the game, a seven-figure salary, and apparently, to play, yeah, apparently currently sniffing around uh, Todd Carney as well, which I could not believe. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that sort of thing. The fact that every second week we are treated to coverage of games from Spotless Stadium, which should be renamed Fanless Stadium, seeing these vast, vast expanses of grandstand with literally not one person in them. Mm. Not one. Like, the entire first tier of all these stands. 
completely empty. There's just no interest in the game there, yeah. and there's no reason to try and drive interest in the game there. Yep. There's nothing to be gained maybe, from it at all, and maybe, everything to be lost. Yeah, maybe Paul can send their tarps over. Oh, uh, yeah, no, look, uh, that that's... The other thing I would say about them is, is that they... I actually think that they took the piss when they were setting their team up as well, is that they, they pretty much went, well, we're just going to get as many of the best young kids as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We don't care that we're not going to put a competitive product out there, to be perfectly honest, for four to five years. And when you then tie that back to, as we've discussed, the inequality of the draw, what yeah. it basically means is that teams who get to play them twice and... In particular, a certain team Sydney. who uh, happen to be sitting on top of the ladder right now. You cannot underestimate the impact that playing them twice has on their results each season. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you, Hawthorne, Fremantle, Geelong, all those other teams at the top of the ladder, mm. none of them would be getting two games against GWS each year. Mm. And, I mean, yeah, so... And just bringing Gold Coast to the side, Gold Coast is a bit more of a traditional heartland for football. I mean, I would have preferred GWS was in Tasmania. But and I also think I can't, just... I can't argue with Gold Coast. I think that the fans are actually coming out up there. And... and I think that's just because they did a genuinely better job yeah. of managing that one. They yeah. got a good coach rather than, oh, we'll get Kevin Sheedy in for a season and we'll get Israel Folau in for a season. I mean, you just stop and think about that and go... What is the fucking point? Do you really think you're going to get an extra 5,000 people along to the game each week because some washed-up has-been in his late 60s and some guy who used to play the other ball sport in that state are now involved in this contest? Hmm. It's, it's, it's mind-bogglingly stupid. Yeah. Anyway, would you like to see a countdown clock at each venue? Mm, it's a really tough one. A really tough one. <laughs> I have I have a definitive I... answer on this. <laughs> Definitively no for me. Yeah, and see, I say that too. But the I guess the problem with that is so often now the players will will get told. You know, yeah, almost that, exactly. I, how see, much I don't time have a problem left. with that. But actually, being somebody who's going to games, mm. that's stuff that I don't particularly want to know. Yeah, but see, the interesting thing is, if you then ask me. When I'm watching a game on telly, yeah. would I want a countdown clock? I would say yes, absolutely. Yeah. Going back to the old days of the five-minute warning with just, Channel 10's yeah, coverage. This is the thing. I mean, but this is the point we're talking about at the venue. We're not talking yeah, about the but TV the, I guess that's what I'm emphasising, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. unique okay. to being at the, at the actual game. Which opposition club do you most respect? And, I mean, that's very... I, I'll answer this one first. Yeah. And the reason why I choose this particular team is because of where they were a couple of years ago. I'm choosing Port Adelaide. Yeah. Because I really admire how they've been able to turn that club around. And just the, the history, it's not a... I guess it's it's not an artificial club, so to speak. It's a club that has a very rich and deep tradition as well. And I just love that their mantra is pure and simple, we exist to win premierships. Yeah. Um... I, you know, I think that you know it's a, it's a great example. The problem is, is that it's an overstated example of it just takes the right people to turn a club around. I don't think it's as simple as that. But the fact that you know they've got a really good president in there now, and they've got a great coach, they've they've managed to turn their turn their sh- the team around and the and the club around in such a short period of time. You have to mm. admire and respect that. 
Yeah. I mean, in terms of... But if I'm looking at it from a broader perspective... An easier question would be, who are the teams you don't respect? <laughs> well, yeah. I I, well, um, I'm, I'm getting to that. Which club yeah. do you love to hate? Um, and I mean, there's really... Oh, but hate is different from respect. See, in terms of yeah. respect right now, I'd say I have a lot of respect um, for the Western Bulldogs mm. because essentially they have just been bent over and fucked yeah. up the ass by the AFL in terms of draft picks, in terms of draws, in terms of scheduling... Everything that could possibly yeah. get, um, you know, biased against them has been. And yet they, if you look at their um, on-field results, the talent they're developing in terms of these guys like Bontempelli and McRae, mm. um, and I guess, yeah, the fact that for a club that has only won one premiership in their history, mm. um, yeah. they still have, I guess, a... A pretty strong and competent um, they base would, of activity. They would definitely have been on my shortlist. Yeah, and you know Geelong and Hawthorne for for different but similar reasons. I mean Hawthorne, what is it now? Twenty less than twenty years ago were virtually non-existent, mm. and you know Geelong were in a in a similar amount of trouble, and they you know managed to do the right thing and turn themselves around by being very smart about how they structure off the field. But see, for which them, is I think translated to on-field success. For them, I think that's also though they get a lot of extra benefits and that from the AFL, whereas well, the doggies don't. Yeah, get I any mean of that's that. true. The, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I guess the the, the the reason why I say that the the reason why the Hawthorns and the Geelongs have got those benefits is because they worked pretty bloody hard to do it. Hawthorne went out mm. and did yeah, the Tasmania yeah, thing. Geelong so, yeah. took a big punt and chose to keep their stadium yeah. instead of doing the thing. So they made they made some pretty ballsy decisions. Yeah, and um, you know they've they've reaped the rewards off, from yeah. those accordingly. Rather than just trying to whinge to the media all the time about yeah. the advantages given to Sydney, a la a certain uh, yeah. Victorian club president. Yeah. <laughs> well, he just whinges about most things. Which club do you love to hate? Oh, look, at the moment, it, it, it simply has to be Essendon. Yep. I mean, there's, yeah, I, there's, I think there's no one else even geez, within love daylight. To, of I'd love to put Collingwood in that list, but you're exactly no. right. What Essendon have done to this league over the past mm. couple of years is an absolute disgrace. Yeah. And yeah, how can how can anybody honestly sit there and say that? that and the thing that, that is- the thing that sickens me the most is that if if I if this had happened at Hawthorne, I honestly think I would stop supporting the club. Like well, yeah. I, it, I would be so hurt and feel so betrayed and so utterly disgusted at their actions. Whereas it seems like everyone within Essendon. Um, has actually used this sort of siege mentality to get behind their team even more vehemently. And so basically what they're doing is condoning drug cheats. Yep. Yeah, look, I mean, in a similar situation, if we wound it back 12 months and it was John Worsfold who was the coach and something like that had happened, I would have wanted him gone, I would have wanted yeah. the board gone, yeah. I would have wanted the players... I would have wanted serious, absolute serious, accountability Seriously yeah. questioned as to why they would do stuff like that without thinking... I don't want anybody who had any mm. part in that happening booted. So basically and, the complete opposite of what's happened. Well, that's exactly right. Well, not. I mean, that isn't entirely true. They got rid of well, most of the off-field staff, but somehow the guy who was the mastermind yeah. is uh, has got has you know got a free pass. Yeah, yeah I mean, seeing I mean, what's that, happened there, if, I am shocked to be about, sitting here. We talk about the history of the AFL. Yeah. That, as far as I'm concerned, stands alone. Yeah. As the single biggest, you know, just utter disgrace yeah. in the history of the game. All right. So we've got a few rapid-fire ones here. 
Would you skip a fridge? Well, they've already been pretty yeah. rapid, haven't they? No, no, no not yet. <laughs> Hasn't been too late. We've been pretty, we've been pretty <laughs> verbose for some of these things. Would you skip a friend's wedding if you had tickets to watch your team in the grand final? Yes. Yes. Would you ever consider getting a football-related tattoo? No, but that's only because I wouldn't get any related tattoo. Yeah, I've I thought about it, but I... I bought. Did I not yeah, make some sort of reference to a, a, yeah. a butt no. cheek tattoo? So it all, probably worth it pointing out that that was no. a facetious yeah. remark. Now. In all seriousness, <laughs> I, uh, when uh, I was in the United States, I contemplated getting one done then, but mm. decided against it at the last minute, and I'm probably grateful I did. Um, do you think your club has a realistic chance of winning a premiership in the next five, week, five years? Well, in your case, it's the next five months, probably. Yeah. Um, yes and yes. Yeah, you're well and truly in your window. Yeah. I, I'm a lot more pessimistic. I don't think we're we're contenders for five to six years. Mm. To be honest, um, we've just we've just had too much damage to our midfield. We might be around that 2011 2012 mark, bouncing a little bit in a couple of years. But I don't particularly if you get the same sort of uh, favourable draw. Yeah. and um, good run but, of injuries. Yeah, but I just don't think that. I mean the. All the talent on the GWS and the Gold Coast puts them well and truly yeah. ahead of us on the curve. And, you know, there's clubs like the Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, that's um, the other thing. The and very, the other, the other the, one is Collingwood have done some very smart retooling mm-hmm. with picks as well. I just think that there's too many clubs ahead of us on the pecking order that I can't see us jumping. Yeah. Can I just make another quick point there, which you just reminded me of? The very nature of the competition in the draft and all the equalisation policies is that teams are essentially supposed to bounce up you know, have success yeah. and then bounce back down, regenerate, get draft picks, get concessions, and then bounce back up. Yeah. What's happened at the moment is that essentially teams who are at the top now will remain at the top for longer, mm. whereas the teams who are down the bottom, such as your Western Bulldogs, St Kilda's and Brisbane's, they will be stuck down there because essentially the the level of um, talent and, um, and mm. uh, yeah, picks available to them in the draft yeah. will all just, um, yeah... Yeah, I agree. I think that that's a, it's a really good point. I think the Geelong's premiership window got extended a couple of years yeah. purely because of it. And I, you know, I could argue that I think the same's probably happened to Hawthorne. Mm, absolutely. Um, because it's been harder for some of those teams towards the bottom to regenerate. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's what I say. We've, we've talked about that. Um, should there be a standalone club in Tasmania? Absolutely. Well, if we're going to have two in Sydney and um, two in Queensland, then yes. Yeah. Do you think your club will be around in 20 years? <laughs> yeah, that's a silly question. Of course, the Eagles will be around in 20 years. Mm. Um, yeah. Hawthorne, I think. Yes, they will be, although some of their um, clubs, you know, within a few a few hundred kilometres, I wouldn't be as confident yeah. about. Or within about 15 or 20 kilometres, mm. I would have thought. Should players' salaries be made public, yes or no? I'm a, I really don't know how to answer this, to be perfectly yeah. honest, which is silly for a yes-no question. I think that if everything's going to skew the players' way with regards to free agency and all these mm. things, as the system currently stands, my answer would be yes. But if we talked about some of these other things that have happened happening potentially in the background there, yeah. I don't think that it's necessary. I, I don't think that... I, I mean, I have no... F- no morbid desire to necessarily know See, that's what the, that is. The thing I just think about are. is as a professional trying to make a living, yeah. you wouldn't you know, force any other person in mm. their day-to-day job to have to make their um, salary public knowledge. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the one thing that makes it difficult for me is just almost 
why why do we need to know? Why does everyone well, need to know? Well, I believe if you're signing a free agent contract, the, the dollars associated with that should be made public. Mm. But... I could, to be perfectly honest, I could care less one. But way it's or the more other. important to be made public in terms of fairness and, um, I guess, you know, yeah, just right. overall honesty versus that sort of, um, I guess, just morbid curiosity across the country as to exactly what someone's yeah. getting paid. Yeah. Anyway, should clubs get compensation picks for losing players to free agency? Well, I've kind of discussed that already. Uh, my preference is no, but if they are to have them, it should be later on in the draft. See, I, um, I'm a bit more of a traditionalist. I don't think there should be free agency, yeah. which is almost impossible to do in this day and age, but I just don't think... Well, I think that, I think that players like Chris... I, I yeah. always say that Chris Judd was Absolutely. the first free agent. So. I, because I think the very problem with it is, as soon as you open that door one millimetre, yeah. then all the inherited advantages to Collingwood, Hawthorne and Geelong and disadvantages to Western Bulldogs, St. Kilda, yeah. we just mentioned, yeah. they will all inevitably flow through to free agency. So yep. it won't be a pure free agency. Correct. Do you like the idea of zones to reduce congestion? You kind of, you've kind of hinted to yes. Yeah, I don't really like the idea of zones, but I like the idea of less congestion. Yeah, yeah that's right. If, if, that's, if that's how you choose to address mm. that problem, then so be it. But yeah. my, my gut feel is, is that the game will correct for itself in due time and people will realise that you, you have to keep some element of structure forward of the ball. Um, should nine point super goals be introduced into the no, season? What no. a dumb question that is. No. Definitely no. Seriously, and uh, yeah. that again, a perfect um, example of the sort of just stupidity and willingness to just come in and drastically change things for the sake of it. Yeah. Would Would you say would would cricket be sitting there considering? Hey, if a, if a batsman hits a six that goes twenty rows back, should they get ten runs for that rather yeah. than six runs? It's mm. yeah, it's a joke. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, if you hit the ball more than 100 metres, yeah. should you get more? Yeah, it's, yeah. anyway. Uh, which time slot do you most prefer attending the football? Uh, attending or watching for me? Attending, so going to a game. Mine, mine is, uh, believe it or not, Sunday afternoon. Yeah. For some reason, like the, 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 games, the, the games in Perth that are like the 2 o'clock games on Sunday, I actually don't mind. Yeah. I'd probably say Sunday night, purely yeah. just because... Well, just in terms of having to go to work the next day, um, yeah. Sunday, once you get yeah, to the Yeah, I generally, yeah, Saturday night would probably much. be my second preference, yeah. so I can understand that. Uh, which time slot do you least prefer? Well, I think Monday. Thursday night, yeah, hence prefer- why I'm here right now. Seriously, what is the point yeah. of having Thursday night games and Sunday twilight games and Monday night games yeah. and all this other experimental horse shit? Just keep doing the TV. standard stuff. TV dollars is the answer. Oh, but, oh yeah, so TV dollars and then yeah. this game tonight won't be covered free-to-air into yeah. the majority of states over east. What is the deal with Thursday night games? Yeah. Um, I, I actually hate Monday more than Thursday. Oh, but they're all bad. But, they're, yeah. I, any I, any yeah. deviation away from just the standard Friday yeah. night, yeah. Saturday Arvo, Saturday evening... And then Sunday early and afternoon. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason to be away from that. Have you ever travelled into state to watch your team play? Well, we both have done that, so we can give that a resounding yes. Yep. What's the best time for the grand final? Exactly when it is. Yep. Because that's when it always has been, and there is absolutely no reason to change it. Definitely day, not closed completely to the idea of a twilight game night forget about it no because i just think that means the day stretches on too long yeah you want oh. to have it starting yeah. 
nice and reasonably early having, in the having day. Having been there a couple of times itself, I actually, the idea of having it as a twilight's not a bad idea, but I, I, my preference is to stick with the day. It's a long day as it is, so yeah. Um, but yeah, um, a gen- generally ex- they're, they're trying to extend it on more so now. Of course, but, they are. but yeah. Anyway, in the in the past few years, have you decided at any time not to attend a game knowing you can watch it on TV live? Uh, yes, um, mm. once Adelaide versus West Coast in the last round of last season. <laughs> yeah, don't blame me for. Not going to that game. Yeah. I'm no, I'll always go. So, um, but well, but is that specific to my team? Because yeah. if it was a Hawthorne game, yeah. then absolutely I would always go. I'm, so, I'm assuming we're talking about specifically okay. yep. your team, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's your preferred way of accessing football news online for me? Um, well, I'd probably have to give a shout out to Mark Duffield and say, as a result of his um, journalism within the West Australian. I'd, I'd, in terms of my yeah my favourite um, football journalist, that would be him. So I'd probably give the nod to the West on that basis. Newspaper for you. Yeah. The cost of attending the footy is too high. About right or not sure. Um, I think it's about right. Um, when you well, we pay we pay through the nose over here relative to. Other oh, but starts, when I look at how much I pay for um, for my Wacker membership, for yeah. instance, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's it's probably about right. Mm. I. I'm a little bit scared about how much it might become once we move to the to the new stadium, though. Mm. Well, there'll be more people, so you think it's probably going well, to be Financially, I think you'll find that the, the two WA clubs have been pulling the piss with regards to membership prices for years now. Mm. Financially, which part of the game... Uh, sorry, which part of attending the game concerns you the most? Ticketing slash membership, reserve seating, food and drink or parking? Oh, it's it's got to be food and drink. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yep. parking over here is not something specific to the football. That's yeah. just welcome to West Perth. So, yeah. That's right. Well, welcome to Perth in general, where everyone parks and everyone mm. pays for the privilege. Yeah. Um, would you prefer state of origin, international rules, another concept, or no representative football? No representative football, because I don't think there is ever going to be enough incentive to potentially put a premiership campaign at risk. Yeah. risk for the sake of something like that. Yeah, very good point. But, yeah, given a choice, I, I love State of Origin. Oh, yeah, State of Origin was great, but I just think in this day and age, um, you know, someone the very fact that someone could go out and do a knee and miss the rest of the season, it means automatically there won't be that 100% um, commitment and absolute, um, you know, performance for that game. And yeah. as a result, yeah, I don't think it's worth it. Yep. What is the single biggest issue facing the AFL? I think we touched on that already. Oh, Essendon. Essendon. Yeah. yeah. Closely, closely followed by some of the advantages and, that Sydney get for being in Sydney. Yeah. Cost of living allowance and yeah. the whole Which, academy again, thing. just ties back to the whole, the importance of um, yeah. fairness and um, equality across all clubs. Yeah. Last question. What is the first thing you would do if you were CEO for a week? Jeez. Oh, think how much of a better job I would be able to do than my immediate predecessors at the moment. Um, well, the first thing I'd do is ring uh, Eddie Maguire up and remind him that he wasn't the CEO of the, of the league. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, in fact, I would tell you what I'd do. I'd place a, a cap, a fixed percentage cap, on the representation of former players within any commentary team for the game. So there would have to be at least, say, 
say, one-third of the commentators for any game would have to be qualified and respected sports journalists rather than former players. So, in, in summary, I guess this could be called the, uh, the Luke Darcy rule. Darcy slash Shaw slash Brereton. Yeah. Yeah. At least no, ensuring if they're all going to have a job, then we're at the very least not going to have to suffer through all of those falls at once. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll vote one Jackson if you, you put that in, because it's, it's really interesting. I remember seeing an interview with David Hill, who you might not yep. know. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. He was yep. the driving force behind um, um, Channel 9's... Yep, who's coverage. now... Who went and headed up Fox in... Um, was at ESPN for a little while, but then yep. is now heading up the Fox Sports in the United States. Yep. He said that one of the greatest inhibitors to stop Australian rules football from catching on around the world was mm. the, the amateurish commentary. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, someone pointed out the other day, it's almost become so ingrained that we don't really think about it, yeah. but you just stop and watch Martin Tyler commentate a game yeah. during the, the Soccer World Cup. You imagine someone switching on and listening to BT and Das, you know, reading out their live and interactive tweets and calling everyone Big Boy and the Jukes and Wowee and, and all this other completely, yeah, as I say, unprofessional, just childish, amateurish horse shit that they do um, go, go on with. And I think the sad thing is it's already just become so ingrained mm. that it's... I, I, yeah, I can't see it ever being eradicated now. I think... It, I mean, it's going to be a very, very, very sad day when Dennis and Bruce hang up the boots mm. because they are essentially the, the last two bastions of hope amidst a sea of incompetence and um, buffoonery. Yeah. yeah, well, that's right. Um so, I, mean, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you've... Have you ever heard any of the Eurosport commentary of the AFL? No. It's actually very interesting. One guy uh, one guy and one person doing special comments. Incredibly simple. It's, it's almost yeah. like we've seen to Martin Tyler. Oh, but it's... Um, it, so and, much of it is not something they have to do right. It's just, guys, don't go reading out tweets. Don't go cracking on about how someone's... The and, captain's cousin is off in Barbados and all this other... Irrelevant yeah. crap. And the other thing, call the game. And how about how about also doing some research and getting people's names right? So and, but see, the that, number that of ties into my point is that these former players, yeah. they they don't think. Well, they it's not they don't think they have to. They don't have to. Luke Darcy is a prime example of that. He wouldn't have done a single minute's research or you know work on his commentary in his life. He just rocks up on the day and expects that. Whatever vague general knowledge and recollection he has of things will be good enough. And, yeah, it stinks. It really, really stinks. Let, let me, let me summarise it this way. Barry Hall is paid as a commentator in this country. Enough said. Tony Shaw is still paid, isn't he? Yeah. But he's been incompetent in the role for about 15 years and he's yeah. still getting paid. This, this idea that somehow former players are more qualified to um, perform as commentators is it's not just horseshit, it's a gravy train and that's why it will yeah. never be derailed. Yeah. I think that's a really good note to end on because that's certainly a legitimate big bugbear of, yeah. of I think anybody who follows the sport closely. It's finishing so. with a sour taste much like the one left in our mouths when we hear a lot of these aforementioned tools yeah. commentate. Well, hey. So, mm. I think, uh, yeah, well, Kill it there. So, Look. AFL, you asked for our feedback. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Later, skaters. <laughs> Later, <laughs> <laughs>